Extraordinary Tales series that Pastor Luke kicked off last week. Uh, you know, it's easy to look at the lives of all the heroes in the Bible and uh, think, wow, you know, we can really learn from them. But if I'm honest, I often learn a lot from other people's mistakes as well. So we're gonna take a look today at um, someone's life who maybe didn't finish so well and see what we can learn as a cautionary tale from them. So we're gonna look at the life of Saul. And before we do that, I'm just gonna pray. Father, we thank You, Lord, that um, You have already spoken to us here, Lord, that You're already working on our hearts, oh God. And I, I thank You, Lord Jesus, that You've got a word for us today. And I pray that as we uh, delve into uh, what You would have to say to us as we look at the Word of God, I pray right now that You would open our eyes to see whatever it is in us that You would like to work on and deal with and change and transform, Lord, so that we can become more whole, so that we might achieve all You have called us to. In Jesus' Name, Amen. All right. So let me tell you a little bit about Saul. Saul was king in Israel. Not only was he anointed king, but he was the first king in Israel. See, prior to this moment when Saul is anointed as king and appointed as king, Israel was led by leaders, by priests, by judges who heard from God and passed the message on to the people. So essentially, God was their king. Uh, but the Israelites, as we have become accustomed to them doing, complained to God and said, we want an earthly king. And so God says, okay, and, and anoints Saul as the first king of Israel. Now, if you ask me, I feel like that's a pretty cool call to be the first king to ever lead Israel. Like that's huge. And the Bible tells us that by all appearances, actually Saul was like a really good man for the job. Like he was the best man by all appearances for this job of being king. In 1 Samuel chapter 9, um, it tells us that a man named Kish, a Benjamite, had a son. And it says he had a son named Saul, an impressive young man. There was no one more impressive than the, the, in the Israelites than he. He stood a head taller than anyone else. I read that scripture to Steve. He says, oh, it sounds like me. It sounds like a pretty perfect person to be a king, right? Like, I feel like he would have been great at the job. But you know what? He wasn't. He wasn't remembered for being a great king. He wasn't, I feel like he was set up to be a great king, but he wasn't remembered as that. In fact, when you read the story of Saul, what comes out is that he is in fact remembered for his jealousy, his paranoia, his irrational thinking, his overthinking, his anger. See, after Saul became king, he did good. He won a whole bunch of battles. He led armies to victory. And then in walks a young man named David. And David, what Saul didn't know was that David had been anointed also to be the next king of Israel after Saul. And Saul liked David. He really liked this young guy. And he invited him to come into his household and be part of his team and, and, and lead some armies. And the Bible says that David succeeded in everything he did. In fact, in verse five, it says, David marched out with the army. In, in chapter, uh, 1 Samuel 18, verse five, it says, David marched out with the army and was successful in everything Saul sent him to do. Saul put him in command of the fighting men, which pleased all the people. 
Saul and the Saul's servants as well. Or as the troops were coming back, when David was returning from killing the Philistine, the woman came out of all the cities of Israel to meet the king singing and dancing with tambourines, with shouts of joy, with three-stringed instruments. As they danced, the woman sang, Saul has killed thousands. David has tens of thousands. Saul was furious. He resented the song. They credited tens of thousands to David, he complained, but only thousands to me. What more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul watched David jealously from that day forward. And this begins Saul's downward spiral where jealousy and paranoia lead him on a chase for David's blood. And Saul attempts over and over and over again to take David's life. Saul is consumed by it and it becomes his downfall. See, I do not believe that we saw in Saul all that he could have been. I don't believe he accomplished all God intended him to when he set out on his journey. I think that Saul stopped short of the call that was on his life, not because he didn't have it in him. I believe Saul stopped short because he didn't have wholeness. He didn't have wholeness. See, Saul looked all together on the outside. He was impressive. He stood a head taller than everybody else. He looked like the right man for the job. On the outside, he had it all together, but on the inside, he was broken. See, as we read the story of what happens with Saul, we see that there is a brokenness in him that when placed under pressure, begins to reveal this jealousy, this anger, this control, this ambition in him. So we have to ask the question, what is Saul's brokenness? What is Saul's brokenness? Well, if we're gonna know that, we've gotta go back to the beginning where we first meet Saul. In 1 Samuel chapter nine, after um, we know and learn that he's impressive, we learn this, that Saul's father's donkeys wandered off. And so his father sent Saul and a servant to go and find the donkeys. They look for about three days, but can't find them. So then the servant comes up with the idea. He says, aha, I think we should go and find a prophet, a seer, because he might be able to see where the donkeys might be and send us in the right direction. So Saul, after a bit of discussion and back and forth and not sure if it's a good idea, they decide, okay, let's go find the seer. Little did they know that God was actually setting Saul up to meet a man named Samuel. And we can pick up our story in chapter nine, verse 14, where it says, they went, so they went up toward the city. Saul and his servant were entering the city when they saw Samuel coming toward them on his way to the high place. Now, the day before Saul's arrival, the Lord had informed Samuel, at this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will save them from the Philistines because I have seen the affliction of my people for their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, here is the man I told you about. He will govern my people. Saul approached Samuel in the city gate and asked, would you please tell me 
um, where the seer's house is? I'm the seer, Samuel answered. Go up ahead of me to the high place and eat with me today. When I send you in the morning, I'll tell you everything that's in your heart. As for the donkeys, just a side note, by the way, in case all you were still concerned, as for the donkeys, don't worry about them, they've been found. And who, listen to this, and who does all desire Israel desire but you and all your father's family? Now Saul knew that in this moment and in these words that Samuel was saying, that he was telling him that he would be Israel's next leader. And listen to Saul's response. He says, am I not a Benjamite from the smallest of Israel's tribe? And isn't my clan the least important of all the clans of the Benjamite tribe? So why have you said something like this to me? The next day he's anointed king. Verse 21 gives us a clue and a glimpse into Saul's brokenness. Verse 21 sheds light on something in Saul's life where we see the root of all the anger, all the pride, all the, all, all the ambition and all the control. See, Saul shows us in this moment that he is riddled with insecurity. Am I not? But I'm only the weakest, the smallest. Why would you say something like that to me? Saul is riddled with insecurity. God sees something in Saul that Saul cannot see in himself. And so Saul answers the call of God from a place of inadequacy. He's saying, God, I don't think I can do that. Surely I am not capable of what you are actually asking me to do. Here's what I've learned. I've learned that often some of the things that we fail to deal with in our life can lay dormant in us until such a time as a bit of pressure comes on or, a little, or we're asked to step into maybe like a leadership role. See, quite often some of the things in our early days will begin to show in us and become quite obvious when the pressure is placed on. I recently ended up in a rabbit hole down YouTube. Anybody else been in that place? My, my husband sent me there. And I ended up watching YouTube clips of a hydraulic press squashing stuff. I will never get that time back. Like this big cylinder metal hydraulic press coming down slowly, squashing apples and Coke bottles and Vaseline jars and toys and perfume bottles. And you know what? Every time the result was the same. The item would get squashed. But what we notice is that every time what was inside came out. And we have got to know that in our life, what is inside of us, when placed under pressure, will come out. When placed under pressure, Saul's insecurity came out. And church, just like Saul, you and I have been called by God. He's got a purpose over your life. 
the verse that Pastor Luke has established this church on and written on the walls of all our buildings is, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. Man, God has called you. He's anointed and appointed you. He's put a gifting inside of you. And He's got a destiny over your life. And you won't be fulfilled until you discover what it is and begin to walk in it. But we've got to understand something. We've got to understand that the key to seeing your purpose and the promise of God come to fulfillment is not actually in your ability. It isn't in your gifting. It isn't in your talent. The key is in your wholeness. Because God doesn't just wanna get you to the end destination. He wants to ensure you will get there whole. He wants to get you there whole. We have to understand that the enemy, the enemy would love nothing more than to keep your brokenness dormant inside of you to stop you from being delivered from it. Because he knows that if he could get you, that if you were to get delivered from the stuff that is holding you back, then there will be nothing stopping you from reaching your community, your friends and your family for the kingdom of God. But Saul was riddled with insecurity. So what does insecurity look like? Well, first thing, insecurity is threatened by others' success. See, Saul wasn't able to celebrate in David's successes because he was not secure in his own call. I can remember after I finished um, uh, university and I had my teaching degree and so I put some CVs out there to get my first teaching job and I, I think I probably put about 15 CVs out and I didn't get one, I didn't even get shortlisted for an interview. Like, some of them didn't even reply. How rude. <laughs> Just got declined, some declined letters. 15 times over and over again. And just as I was losing hope, I got a phone call from a friend of mine who went to uni with me. She went through every year. We were in the same classes and we went to school. We, we travelled like in the car together and we went on practicums together. We did assignments together. And she called me just as I was losing hope. She called me with the good news that she got a job. <laughs> wow, you can imagine my response as a Christian. Yay! I'm so happy for you. Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations. Woohoo! You guys all know what it's like. You've been praying for something. You've been believing. There's an answer to prayer that you're looking for. Meanwhile, everybody else is getting their answers. How do we respond? We're like, yeah, good for you. Beyond excited. Whatever. Yeah, right. Like, come on. Because our insecurity will tell us that someone else's success equals a subtraction from ours. Insecurity is threatened, um, is threatened by the success of others. Number two, insecurity struggles to trust. 
There's this great moment in the story between David and Saul. David is running for his life from Saul and he's got a whole bunch of men with him and they're hiding in a cave. They're like right back in the recesses of the cave. And David needs to go to the bathroom. I mean, Saul needs to go to the bathroom. So David and his men are hiding in the back of the cave and Saul just happens to go by that same cave when he needs to go to the bathroom. So he slips into the cave and he is going to the bathroom and Saul and his men are there and Saul's men are egging, uh, David's men are egging David on saying, come on, kill him, he's right there, you'll never know. You just go, you know, we can finish this right now. But you know what David does? He sneaks up behind Saul as he's going to the loo. He must have been really concentrating. <laughs> and instead of killing him, without Saul even seeing that he was there, he cuts off the edge of his robe. And later on, David comes to Saul and he brings it to him. And he says, look, I, could have, I was close enough to kill you and you didn't even know I was there. All of my men wanted me to end you right then, but I didn't because I'm loyal to you. Do you know what though? Because of Saul's insecurity, even when loyalty was proven time and time again, he still couldn't trust David and he still continued to pursue him for his life. Because insecurity cannot trust, even when loyalty is proven, because insecurity sees others as adversaries and rivals, not friends. Number three, insecurity fights for position. Insecurity says, I've got to fight to get my place and I need to fight to keep it. Insecurity says, I've got to look out for me because no one else is gonna. Insecurity says, it's me against the world. But I've got to tell you something. We have to understand that insecurity fails to see that we aren't where we are because of anything we have done or achieved to get there. We are where we are, but by the grace of God. And if it is the grace of God that got you there, then nothing can take you away from there because it wasn't anything you did to get there in the first place. But insecurity... Insecurity fights for position. So how do we overcome it? How do we overcome insecurity? This is what we all need to know. Write this down. Number one, insecurity celebrates others. Insecurity celebrates others. I mean, not insecurity. We need to overcome insecurity by celebrating others. Thank you. Second service. I wonder what the third service will be like. (laughs) Saul's son, Jonathan, responded quite oppositely to his father. I love Jonathan's response. Because you know what? Jonathan was actually the crown prince. So by like family tradition for who gets the throne, Jonathan was actually next in line, heir to the throne, right? So Saul was grooming and priming Jonathan to take his throne. So of all the people that could have seen David as his rival, Jonathan would have been like legit, or you know, that would have, we would have been like, sure, absolutely, he's your rival. Jonathan didn't seem that way. In fact, Jonathan does a couple of things that symbolizes and signifies and communicates to David, I don't see you as my rival, I see you as my friend. See, there's this, there's this awesome picture and this beautiful part in the story in uh, 1 Samuel 18 where Jonathan actually takes off his royal robe and gives it to David. His royal robe, 
his royal robe, the robe he wears as the crown prince. He takes it off and he gives it to David in an act that says, I recognise that there is kingship on your life. His mantle of authority, he takes it off. And he says, I recognise that there is something on your life and it's different to what's on mine. He doesn't just give him his robe, he gives him his sword. And do you know what? Under law, only the king and the crown prince were allowed by the Philistines whose rule they were over, were allowed to carry a sword. And so Jonathan takes his crown prince sword and gives it to David in an act that says, I'm gonna celebrate the call of God that's on your life. And I'm gonna recognise that I'm called to something different and that is totally okay. We overcome insecurity by encouraging others, by celebrating them, by calling out what is in them of God that we see over their life. Come on, let's commit to be people who champion one another, regardless of where it takes them compared to us. We overcome insecurity by celebrating others. Number two, trust that you are called. Trust that you are called. Jonathan was able to celebrate David's kingship because he was secure in his own call to sonship and friendship. They were called to different things. Neither was more important than the other. Both were necessary. David needed Jonathan and Jonathan needed David. They were called to different things and that was okay with Jonathan. Just because you haven't seen it in yourself, it doesn't mean it's not in you. It doesn't mean it's not in you. Your confidence should be based on the knowledge that God has picked you. That's all we need. God called you. He's anointed you. He chose you. What an incredible thing to stand on and trust on. The difference between David and Saul was that David, when he was anointed, he trusted it. He went, I know I'm anointed king. I don't have to fight for it. I don't have to compete with anybody else for it. I don't have to prove myself that I deserve it because I was anointed for it, so I'm gonna trust it. Interestingly enough, Saul was anointed by the same God, for the same role, by the same prophet, possibly with the same bottle of oil. But he didn't trust the call. Instead, he thought he had to fight for it. Instead, he thought he had to hold on to it with a death grip because someone was trying to steal it from him. Listen, Saul didn't rest in his calling because insecurity doesn't rest, it strives. And when we trust, we find rest. And we simply walk in the rhythm of grace that God calls us to when He anoints us for something. Number three, the team can join me now. We seek, we overcome insecurity when we seek to be transformed by God. Getting to your promise is not just about what you do, it's who you become. It's who you become. Because as I said before, God just doesn't wanna get you to the end destination. He wants to get you there whole. Steve's told a story before about him and a team of people doing this silly challenge called the Tough Mudder. 21 kilometres through mud and ice and electric shocks and up 
things and down things, like crazy stuff. And apart from my firm belief that you've got to be crazy to do something like that, I actually love the concept. And you know why I love it? Because it's a team thing that isn't about someone being faster or better or stronger than everybody else. Because if one person got there to the end, they still wouldn't be finished because it's about the whole team getting their whole. And so it's not about someone being faster or better, it's about wholeness. And you've got to understand, and I'm gonna remind you this morning that it's not just about being fast or better or gooder or whatever. It's about getting their whole. It's about getting their whole. God chose David over Saul, why? David's sins were surely greater. It wasn't about that. It was about wholeness, the wholeness of their heart. Uh, The Bible describes David as a man after God's own heart, which tells me that David was the kind of person that would ask God, look into my heart, God, examine me. You know, Psalmist says, search me, O God, and know my heart. You know, this tells me that that, uh, David is the kind of guy that's happy to let God challenge his character. It tells me that he is more interested in knowing who God is than he is knowing about him. Saul had a knowledge of God up here, but David had a knowledge of God in here. It tells me that David was willing to let others and God see his imperfections laid out there for the world to see and journey back to wholeness. I have read and studied this whole dynamic between David and Jonathan and Saul so many times. I love it, it intrigues me. And I've often wondered how much greater Saul might have been as king, how much more influence he might have had, how much, more, uh, how much greater kingship he might have been able to carry, how much more authority he might have carried had he learned to overcome his insecurity and begin to speak into and raise up and inspire those around him. And I often wonder how much greater a King David might have been had he had a father figure who was willing to say, hey, let's do this together. I'm gonna show you, I'm gonna teach you through my wisdom and the knowledge of my years, rather than trying to rip down what God was so clearly wanting to build up. And I often wonder how much different Saul's sons, his other sons might have been. Because if we read about them, we read that they too tried to grasp at a throne and fight for and compete for a throne that wasn't theirs. Sometimes I wonder how much how their stories might have been different if they had a father who hadn't modeled to them control and insecurity. I don't want to be like Saul. I don't want to stop short of all that God's got for me. And I wonder how much of God's greatness over our lives He wants to see in us that we are yet to experience because there's something of brokenness in us that we are still to be delivered from. And I kind of think that if I can go further and I can see more and if I can accomplish more and if God can use me in greater ways simply by me allowing Him to do a work in my life, then I'll put my hand up for that. 
I'll put my hand up for that. Church, would you stand to your feet? I wanna do one more thing before I hand back to Steve. Because there is one more way that we overcome insecurity. You wanna know what it is? Praise. Praise. It's entering in to self-forgetting praise. Praise that forgets that sometimes I'm so concerned about me. Because praise says it's not about me, it's about the God who called me. And praise says I'm gonna elevate Him and not my own perception of myself. And I'm gonna cause Him to be greater and Him to be bigger and Him to be magnified. Come on church, all over this place, would you begin to magnify Him right now? Would you begin to place Him above your own insecurity? Would you begin to declare Him as greater? Come on, lift your voices in this place. We're gonna sing a song of praise right now. We're gonna magnify Him. We're gonna seek Him further. Come on, church, let's sing. Let's praise Him today. Thank you, Jesus.